I'm going to start off a little differently today. I'm going to um, start off with a story. It's a story that many of you are already familiar with. It's in, in what is my favorite book of the Bible and favorite chapter, uh, Luke chapter 15, if you know me, I kind of like that, uh, that particular chapter. Uh, we're going to look at it in a different way. I'm going to actually just kind of share it with you uh, as in a paraphrase, the first eight uh, verses or so, and then we'll pick up with the Bible has to, how the Bible says it, um, it's the 20th verse. You know the story, a father has two sons. The younger of the two sons comes to his father and says, Dad, uh, I want my share of the estate. I think most of you probably realize that an estate isn't handed out until the person who the estate belongs to has passed away. Well, the son's tired of waiting. He wants to fly that coop. He wants to go out and make his own way. Um, and he's kind of irritated because his dad is like the Energizer bunny. He just will not slow down, and he's not going to fall over and play dead. So he says, give me my share of the state. And basically, in doing that, he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead, because if you were, then I could get what is mine. Now, surprisingly, the father willingly gives the son what he asked for. But what's really interesting, according to the law, the Jewish law, what happens here is when you have two sons, the oldest son gets two-thirds of the estate, and the younger son gets one-third of the estate. But the father does something that surprises everyone. He divides this estate evenly between his two sons. And not only does the father give the son what he asked for, which is very gracious of him, this father actually gives his son more than he asked for, which is very generous of him. Now, shortly afterwards, the, the son packs up his suitcase and he sets out to conquer the world. He ends up in a far off place. And you know the story. He wastes all that he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. And on the heels of that, a severe famine hits that country. And with everything is, has been spent and nothing is left, this young man finds himself both alone and hungry. So he sets out to see if he can get a job. He hires himself out to a farmer, and he finds himself feeding pigs. And he is still so poor uh, and still so hungry that he's actually thinking about eating what the pigs eat. And it's at this point, point in the story that the, the story takes a unique turn. And it, it happens in the 17th verse with these words, when he came to his senses. And it's then and there that he remembers that his father's servants always have more than enough to eat and always a place to sleep. So he decides he's going to go home. And he, de he decides he's going to go home and he's going to apologize. And he's going to say these words, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. And that's when we come to the 20th verse and we come to that, that heart and sweet spot of this most beloved of all parables. And it begins in the 20th verse. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation. And you can follow along on the screen. So the young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. The father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupted him and said these words, 
son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring me the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find from my son. And let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. And then these words. Make sure you get them. He says this, for my beloved son was once dead. What's your My beloved son was once dead. But he was my beloved son. And he's alive. Once he was lost and now he's found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Let's pray. God, this is a, a passage of scripture. If we've been in church for any time at all, we're familiar with it. Some of us have been in church a long time now, and we are very familiar with it. And sometimes when we're very familiar with something, we forget the significance of it. And sometimes we, we'll jump ahead and tell parts of the story because we know the story, and then in doing so, sometimes we miss the essence of the story. And I pray, God, that we would be able to hear your voice today and uh, we would hear that phrase, my beloved son and my beloved daughter, because it's so key to the story. And I pray that when we would leave this place, we'd be closer to you and closer to the person that we ought to be. And only you can make that happen, so we ask for it to be so. In Christ's name, amen. We're in this series entitled Forward, and it's our vision series, and we're talking about what forward looks for us, uh, looks like for our church and for us in the days ahead. And our vision statement, I love our vision statement. Our vision statement is this, to be a church of generous people who honor Jesus by loving each other and by serving our neighbors. And Daryl asked me if I would be willing to teach one word, one of the, the four significant words in our vision statement, and it happens to be my favorite, and it's the word generosity. Now, here's the scoop. Uh, I want to give you, and I never do this usually, but I want to give you the big idea ahead of time. And what is the big idea? It's, it's twofold. And this is why I want you to think about it as we look at this text and some other things as well. What is generosity and what creates it? You could say it this way. You could ask yourself, am I a generous person and why should I be? And I think Luke 15 the whole chapter, but this particular piece of it uh, will give us the answer to those questions. Now, one of the things that happens sometimes when I preach is I miss a page. <laughs> I'm missing a page. No, because, or Awesome. We're back. Okay. So what I want to do in Luke 15 is simply this. I, I want you to see four things that are true about this dad, about the love that he has for his son. Four things that are true about this dad and his love for his son. Number one, he never gave up on his son. He never gave up on his son. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He never gave up the hope that sometime, someday, some way, his boy would come home. While he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him. For the first time, I read, the, I read this a long time ago, but for the first time, I saw something I'd never seen before. Just a little different angle on that. I see that verse meaning two different things. Number one, it meant that when his dad would be thinking about his boy, he would close his eyes and he would know his son wasn't there and he knew his son wasn't where he was supposed to be. It says he was a long way off. He was in a place he didn't belong with the people he didn't know in a culture he didn't understand. And his father knew he was probably doing things that he shouldn't have been doing. It says he knew his son was a long way off. And it wasn't just he was a long way off. He knew his son was lost. And every morning, this dad would get up and he'd pour himself a cup of coffee. And I, I visualize him, him going to the window, sipping that coffee. And he'd look out the horizon and you remember seeing his son walk down that driveway away from the house. And he'd think to himself these words, maybe today, maybe, maybe today he'll, he'll come home. People thought this dad was crazy. This son who had done him so wrong. And yet this dad never gave up on his boy. He believed in his heart that someday his boy would find his way to make it back home. And at the end of every day, after a hard day's work, this father would sit out on the porch, sometimes till it was dark, looking off to the same direction his son had gone, hoping maybe to see the silhouette of his son coming up the driveway. He never gave up. He longed for his son to return to his open arms, even though he knew his son was a long way from that happening. Secondly, he never stopped loving his son. Verse 20, from a long distance away, from his, away, his father saw him coming dressed as a beggar because that's what he was. He was dirt poor. He had nothing left. And great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. And the father ran out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. One pastor calls this verse, the day God ran. Love that. It's worth noting that the father embraced his son. He didn't kind of hold up his hands and tell his son to stop without speaking a word. There's no lecture. There's no I told you so. There's no hard rip at reprimand. There's no shaming. There's no emotional distancing. The father doesn't keep his son at arm's length. There's no bitterness or resentment for what was just lost. There's no coldness or insensitivity. There's no hard-heartedness. There's none of that. He absolutely embraces his son. He gave his son a great adjustment to the middle back. He might have popped a rib or two. He was so excited to see his boy. And he couldn't stop saying, my son is home. My son is back. He's home. He's home. The dad was a mess. <laughs> he was, he's crying one minute, laughing the next, rejoicing. He giggled with delight like a kid with a new toy. He was beside himself with joy. And you might say, well, Greg, Greg, come on. It's kind of over the top, isn't it? A little bit emotional there. You think? If you read this story and you don't feel 
in some way and somehow the, the depth of the father's love and joy of having his son home. If your heart isn't strangely warmed by the unconditional love of this father, I got nothing for you. I got nothing. And you know what? Each one of us longs for that kind of love. Proverbs 19.21 says this, what a man desires is unfailing love. We all want to be loved for free. And that's the kind of love that the father has for his son. He had that kind of love the day that he allowed his son to pack up his stuff and walk out the door. He had that kind of love for the son the entire time when, that he was gone, always hoping he'd come home. He had that kind of love for his son when his son finally arrived. And he gave his son that kind of love, even though the son's actions didn't deserve it. Even though the son had blown and couldn't undo the damage he'd done. Even though the son had publicly disgraced him beyond measure. Even though the son had thrown away half of the estate that took generations to pull together for the family name. The father loved him anyway. And there's a word for that, a word that we like here a lot. And that word is grace. Grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. This son didn't deserve the open arms and the unconditional love of his father. He didn't deserve a second chance or to get what will be a clean slate. But that's exactly what he got. And check out this dad's response to his son's apology. Verse 21. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I sinned against you. I could, never be, I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupted him and said, Son, son, it's okay. You're home. You're home now. Why didn't the father listen to the son's apology? This is going to be hard for some of you. Because there was nothing to apologize for. Why would I say that? Because the third thing you need to see is this. The father had already forgiven the son. He had already forgiven him before he ever showed up on the front lawn. Long before he had spent and squandered every penny of his inheritance. Long before he, his son took a, a job feeding pigs. Long before his son came to his senses. The father had already forgiven him completely. Here's the deal. You know, when you forgive someone, you're not only releasing them from the pain and the loss that they've caused you. When you forgive them, you're also releasing the anger, bitter, and resentment that you might just be carrying toward them. Think about that. When you choose to forgive, there are going to be a times, maybe this has never happened to you, but there are going to be times when you forgive that your emotions aren't in on it. You know what I'm saying? And you might say to me, well, Greg, if, if I forgive them, but I really don't feel like forgiving them, and I still do, isn't that being a hypocrite? No. When you do the right thing, regardless of what your emotions say, that isn't hypocrisy, that's character. And that's love. And that's what the father's done here. I had a friend of mine who used to say, he said, my emotions hardly ever make it uh, at the front of the table when I'm trying to forgive. 
And he said, sometimes I have to pray this prayer out loud. I have to say, Lord, I'm struggling to forgive this person. You know my heart is in on it. But here's the deal, Lord. I'll lay the forms, but you got to pour the concrete. The father completely pardoned his son of all offenses. And one more thing, this is really important. You know, when you forgive someone and you work on it, you know what happens? You actually free up the space in your own heart that when they come home, there's room for you to be reconciled. That's what happened to the father here. When his son showed up, he had already forgiven him and he was free to absolutely embrace him and love him for free. And the fourth thing I want you to know about this father, he was always, and this is gonna sound weird for a second, he was always proud of his son. And when he talked about his son, and this is why people thought he was crazy, he didn't put him down, he didn't backstab him, he didn't trash talk him. He was proud of his boy. Yeah, he hurt. He missed him, but he loved his boy. That was his son. And all the things that had transpired didn't change the fact that he was the father and this was his son in whom he was well pleased. And we see that in verses 22 on. It says this, turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe. I'm gonna place it over his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, which means he's never left the family. He still has a place at our table. He's my boy. I will put that ring on his finger. He's one of us. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. The father always loved his boy, was proud of his boy, and he was his dad. So when the son showed up that day to apologize, there was nothing left to resolve. The only thing left now was the party. Verse 23, let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For my beloved son was dead. dead. When he was gone and lost, he was still my beloved son. Once he was lost, but now he is found, and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Now, I don't want to assume this. It's pretty obvious, and all of you already know this, but if you're a Jesus person and you've put your faith in him and you're following him, that means for all of us who've done that, we are the prodigal son. And you know that the, the dad in the story is our heavenly father. And that's really important to always remember that. Because sometimes we can get a little sanctimonious, self-righteous. We're all prodigals trying to make our way home. A month ago, we celebrated Christmas. And there are two heavyweight verses in the Christmas narrative. And the first is found in the Gospel of Matthew. It says this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Don't, I want you to hold on to that phrase, God with us. Great phrase. The other heavyweight verse is found in John's Gospel, and it says this. 
The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. One translation says it this way, that God pitched his tent next to ours. It goes on to say, we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Christmas is all about God stepping towards us, God taking the initiative, God with us. And God's posture toward us in the Christmas story is simply this word. It's generous. It's generous. And that truth is so central, not just to the activity of God, but to his very identity. God at his core is generous. It's not a manipulation, nor is it an exaggeration to say that the message of the gospel, get this, is the story of God's reckless generosity towards us as his kids. Through the gift of Christmas, which for us is Jesus, we are accepting receiving this miracle that Jesus came to us. Now in a few months, so it's God with us. In just a few months, we're going to celebrate Easter, which is God for us. Scripture says it like this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. That is God for us. He took our place on the cross for us. According to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that is the gospel that God is for us. Jesus gave himself for us. Why? So that he could have relationship with us. That we could be one with him. Now, we get the gift of Jesus, and then God the Father in that has a gift for himself. <laughs> he, gets a, he gets you. I think he got hosed. I don't know about you. He gets me, okay? We get Jesus, and God gets us. Now, here's, here's where I want to go with this. As I said earlier, there's this thing, the big idea. It's a twofold question, and we need to ask ourselves, what is generosity and what creates it? And here it is. If you are a Jesus person, I believe that generosity is the, national, the natural result and response to the goodness of God in our lives. What makes a person want to be generous? In a word, gratitude. Gr- gratitude. Gratitude for the love of God that is ours, that is yours through Jesus Christ. Yvonne and I have been watching a lot of television, and yeah, you can pray for us. And, um, uh, but we've watched some really good stuff. And I came across about two weeks ago a documentary film that we watched together, and you can find it on the Disney Channel under documentaries. And it's the documentary called The Rescue. Phenomenal, phenomenal story. It's a true story of something that happened in Thailand in 2018. And you might remember it, but there was a soccer team of boys between ages 11 and 16. And they, along with their coach, had gone into this cave. They had done it many times before. And they were in this cave. And the monsoon, the monsoon, July monsoon rains came in, July, in June. And these guys got trapped two miles deep into this cave. Phenomenal story. And I got to tell you, if you're in the medical field, you got to watch it because it'll absolutely freak you out how they pulled this off. And the heroes in this movie are five cave nerds. These guys are nerds. They're all Britain. 
One was from Australia, because that's where he ended up moving. And these five Brits, what they do is unbelievable, okay? But in this movie, there's this line, and the line is being given by this individual whose husband in the rescue efforts, by the way, they were in that cave, these, uh, uh, I can't remember, it was 14 boys, I think, or so, they, they were in that cave for 19 days. It was eight or nine days before they even found them. Two miles back. They had to go through all these raging waters, these five cave nerds, and they pulled this thing off. But this lady, she was Thai. Her husband was a Navy SEAL for the Thai Navy, and he died trying to get them some um, uh, stuff when they were in the back of the cave. And she said this, and as tears ran down her face because her husband was a very brave man, she said this phrase, and I love that. I want you to get that. Get this, generosity is the beginning of everything. Just think about that for a second. And that kept jumping. I went back and watched the movie a second time and took notes. And he's right. Generosity is the beginning of everything. And you of all people, us of all people, we should be the ones who are generous. Just think about what you have been given because of your faith in Christ. Because God stepped toward you. It doesn't say that we came to God. This is God came to us. He initiated it. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't deserve it. We definitely didn't deserve it. It doesn't take much reflection, does it? To realize how incredibly generous God has been to you. Daryl said recently, uh, he was talking about Ephesians 1. He said, Paul describes what we have been given. It's given to us at no cost or effort on our part. God did this incredible thing. He placed Jesus inside of you. How crazy amazing is, is that? And because that is true, it means that you lack nothing of significance. It's out of that spiritual wealthiness that we ought to be freed up to be radically generous. Out of the spiritual rich state that we find ourselves in, out of gratitude for what God has done, there ought to be an overflow of joyful generosity. And we are generous because we have been blessed. There's this scripture that says, freely, freely you have received. Freely, freely give. I'm gonna close with a story, one that I've shared here in March of 2017. And it's one of my favorite all-time stories, and I think you're gonna see why. And some of you might remember it. But I heard my grandpa preach this story. He's the one that got it for us. I've heard my dad share it often, and it's one of my favorites. Years ago, an old pastor was traveling south between speaking engagements, and he was on train sitting next to a young man who was obviously very nervous. As they traveled along, he noticed the young man kept twisting and turning, wringing his hands and perspiring. Finally, the preacher turned to him and said, young man, uh, I'm, I'm a minister. And there's some, there seems to be something bothering you greatly. If you want, you could share it with me. Maybe I could help. After a time, the young man looked up and spoke. He said, preacher, I left home a number of years ago. I had caused my parents such a great deal of pain. And one night when I returned home late from being out on the town, my father was waiting for me in my bedroom. And he said to me, 
son, your, your mother and I love you very much, but our love hasn't been able to reach you. And you have caused us a great deal of heartache. Tonight, your mother has cried herself to sleep one more time. I cannot stand by and let you kill her this way. So I'm going to do something I thought I'd never do. Son, I need you tonight to pack your suitcase. And I want you to leave this house and I don't want you to ever come back. There's nothing more that we can do for you. The young man paused for a while. And then he said, you know, I left the house that night. I packed my suitcase. I made as much noise as possible. I wanted everyone to know how mad it was and that I didn't care. I stomped out of the house. I slammed the door. That was, that was many, many years ago, and I haven't been back since. The young man went quiet again. That was a long time ago, preacher. I've grown up a lot since. I'm sorry for the hurt and pain I caused my parents and my family. I want to go home. I really don't even know if they're alive. I wrote them a letter a short time ago. I told them I would be on this train. I told him I was sorry, how wrong it was. And I didn't want to cause them any more pain. This train goes right by our house. It's not more than a stone throw away from the tracks. And they told him that if they wanted me to stop and to come home to put a white cloth on the picket fence that runs along the drive to the house, put it right by the mailbox. And if I saw it there, I'd come home and if not, I would see that too, and I would just ride the train right on through and not bother them again. You know, preacher, I'm afraid to look. I'm afraid they won't want me back. They won't want me to get off. And my, my hometown's just a few miles ahead. And the pastor said, if you'd like, I'll trade places with you, and I'll look for you. So they switched seats. And the preacher wrote these words later. When we came around the bend, I began to cry. I couldn't say a word. All I could do was gently elbow the young man and have him look out the window too. The picket fence was there, but you couldn't see it. It was covered with white sheets. The yard, every bush, the old tree in the front of the house, all covered in white. White was draped from every window and from the front doorway. And out by the road, by the mailbox, was an old couple, gray hair, waving white handkerchiefs. We've been given so much. So much. And it's out of God's generosity. It's out of our gratitude that we become generous people. And that's what we're supposed to be about. Being light and salt, encouragement and kindness. Because God has been so incredibly good to us. And there's overflow. Because of God's generosity, we are redeemed. Because of God's generosity, we're home now. And because of God's genera generosity, we pass that on. We pay it forward. 
not just because it's the right thing to do, but because God has done that for us. I'm gonna pray in a minute, and after we uh, pray, I've got a caveat I want to just share. But I also want you to know that we'll have a prayer team up here. And if you would like some prayer, that would be cool. I know one of the things you're gonna say to me, well, Greg, that's, that's just a warm fuzzy. <laughs> nah, that's just God extending his life and love to us. And that's where we operate out of that well. Not because we were good, but because God is great. Let's pray. Father, help us to remember where we've come from and who we used to be and how you changed all of that because you stepped towards us and you embraced us. Father, I pray that that would be true of us. Some of us are touchy-feely. We don't like to even give people a handshake. But people ought to feel embraced by us because, God, you embraced us. May we pass that on. May we pay it forward. May we be a church of generous people who honor you by loving each other and serving our neighbors. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One more thing and I'm done. Because you might be here and say, Greg, that I'm there, I'm there. But there's some of you who would say, Greg, I wish, I, I, I've, I've, I'm a Jesus person, but it's been a tough haul. Some of you, some of you have lost loved ones recently. Some of you have had setbacks. We've got a ton of people who I have, I cannot believe the amount of loss and the amount of hard things that we have going on with people that we know and people in our church, including what I just, almost every day I'm getting uh, just one of these things where, Greg, um, uh, I found out I have cancer. Greg, um, I'm gonna, I might be losing my grandchild. Greg, I, I, I've, I've lost family. Greg, I, I'm, I'm down and out. Greg, I'm not in a good place. Greg, I've hit this hill that I don't think I can climb. Greg, I'm in a situation I don't think it's gonna change for me. Greg, I don't know if I can even really carry on. And I hope this little thing will encourage you. From Louis Giglio. The entire story of humanity is a story of people who have stumbled and fallen. Yet somehow in this ocean of God's grace and mercy, he provides a comeback for anyone who puts their faith and hope in Jesus. In the end, we find no matter what we might be walking through, we can still have confidence that Jesus is the God of the comeback and that our story is not over as long as Jesus is in it. You've been blessed to be a blessing. Let's do it this week. Have a good weekend.